Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Diane Solomon, who's a member of the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities. And for our purposes, even more significantly, she chairs the National Committee on Critical Infrastructure for All State Utility Regulators at the NARUC, the National Utility Regulatory Association Commissioners. Did I get that right? No, but it is a mouthful. National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners. Got it. We're here to talk about critical infrastructure uh, at a time when Congress is poised to uh, dedicate upwards of $80 billion for energy infrastructure. Um, How is that viewed in the states? Do all states have the same readiness and plan on how they're going to use that money to to get immediate results for the electric grid. Yeah. Uh, Do all states have plans or did you ask if they're all agreed? Do all states have plans? And uh, I assume some are more advanced than others. Why don't you talk about the waterfront? Yeah. Uh, I imagine that all states are aware of the funds that are being made available for uh, enhancing the grid and reliability uh, in particular, how each state plans on uh, utilizing those funds will depend on uh, each state. My understanding that it's going to be through a series of grant awards. So depending on how they're submitting, uh, you know, for those funds and what the requirements will be, you know, is, is still to be decided. Well, For somebody that's intimately involved with the electric grid in New Jersey and given your role on NARUC, regulatory environments and realities around the country, how would you describe the grid right now? Is it fairly clear where it needs to head or is the whole three-dimensional reality of the grid changing? Yeah, there's no 50-state agreement on how and where the grid needs to be improved in what fashion. It really is based upon, you know, where you are located and, uh, you know, where you stand is sort of, you know, where you sit uh, in terms of what you, uh, each state determines uh, the needs are for their area. But the one thing that all commissioners can agree upon is their charge as commissioners, and that's to ensure safe, reliable service at reasonable rates. So reliability and security is a a constant regardless of where you're located uh, in the country. Now, uh, in terms of how states are going to utilize those funds will depend on the policies of that particular state and region uh, and the, for instance, the renewable energy uh, and clean energy goals of, of the states. You know, for instance, in New Jersey, you know, we have a very robust clean energy goals. However, in other areas of the country, they're more interested in, let's say, the um, reliability uh, goals of their area. They may be more interested in, you know, offsetting, you know, storms, 
fires, cybersecurity. It depends on where you're located, how I think they're going to determine uh, how they want to use those funds. When it, when it comes to something like the, the grid, is it a good thing or a bad thing to have basically 50 experiments on how to proceed? No, I think that you know the uh, original design of the grid would that was never the intention, and uh, you know certainly you have this you know uh, you know broad based system to feed into the uh, different uh, distribution levels, but you know in each region how the grid is maintained and how power is uh, directed to each region differs. For instance, being in PJM, you know we're aligned with. 12 other states and really have a pretty robust transmission system. In other areas of the country, it's, it's not the same as was evidenced, you know, with what happened in uh, Texas and, you know, sometimes what's happening in uh, CAISO where, you know, they can't get the power needed to support even the goals uh, that they have. So I do not believe that an ad hoc system is the best approach, but how to align all those interests and move forward is uh, a real conundrum. So to put a finer point on it, you are really at the midpoint between the consumer and people that have to pay the bills and the utility that represents maybe a legacy way of doing business and new players that want to come on the scene and start providing new services and new technologies. And and given where you've taken the conversation thus far, where each state kind of has a different way of approaching it, how do you as a commissioner in New Jersey balance whether you want your state to be an early mover and adopter or wait till the technology matures? Is it a case by case, technology by technology, or do you have a general philosophy of how to proceed? Yeah. Well, most regulators are guided by their governors and their legislatures as to the goals and objectives of that particular administration. The downside of that is that could change from administration to administration, which makes it difficult sometimes to you know accomplish or get to the endpoint of each of those uh, goals. But I don't set policy, and most regulators do not set policy. We enact policy from the different states. So from that vantage point, you know, we look, let's say in New Jersey, the governor sets forth an energy master plan. We have uh, consultants come in to try to guide us, to tell us how to meet those goals and objectives. And then we can begin moving down the line to enact those plans and to roll out the dollars needed to support the different technologies. So I think that's generally how it's done, even nationwide, you know, some differences depending on the state that you're in. For instance, if you look at New York, for instance, they have uh, NYSERDA and then they have, you know, it's uh, structured a little bit differently, but the regulators themselves are not the ones setting policy, we're the ones enacting policy. So the Department of Energy Office of Electricity has just, as as luck would have it, come out with a major report on a system in transition. And it has questions that state commissions are asking. And I want to run a few by, and 
either as your in your capacity as chair of the critical infrastructure committee with a, a broad national overview, or as a somebody more intimately familiar with what's going on in New Jersey. Why don't you take uh, a swing at each one? One is what is the vision for the state regarding the electric uh, system? Well, I think the vision is to make it as secure, reliable, and robust as possible. Reliability is, you know, a core function of what we do. We're not looking to, you know, have pilots all over the country and then figure out which one is going to serve us best. You know, that's always at the core uh, of what we do to the extent we can bring new tech onto the existing lines to help us in the interim as we bring on these new technologies, I, th- I think is a, a real plus. Okay, we'll get to questions that tackle that, but l- let's go through these. And, and you don't really have, just give us your top of mind response. Sure. What is the role of the distribution utility in the vision of the state? The role of the distribution company is also changing to becoming more just a, as a... Uh, lines going into someone's home, they're becoming more service oriented in terms of what they're providing, especially in the area of energy efficiency. So they're becoming more system operators and planners and managers. So the, as you can see, um, uh, throughout the country, there's a lot of changes going on at the distribution level as well. So just on on a 30,000 foot level, what kind of investments are going to be required to achieve that vision? For the distribution company or for both? For the distribution and the, and the state? I, I think there is well-established agreement that this is going to be or require significant investment at both a federal and a state level to meet the goals and objectives of both the feds and uh, the states. And, you know, where the commissioners and utility commissions sit, we are the ones in the middle. And the reason that you're speaking to us is that we are the ones with the balancing act of how to weigh those investments so that we maintain the reliability yet can move the new grid forward. What opportunities exist to encourage innovation and market solutions? I I think there's a tremendous amount of innovation being supported in the uh, utility space at both the federal and and state level. The Committee of Critical Infrastructure that I I chair has, uh, you know, a great working relationship with the Department of Energy. And, uh, you know, that's always helpful. And I think, you know, supporting the state's initiatives, uh, you know, with the federal government is going to be very important in moving these innovations uh, forward. At NARUC, we have a lot of uh, presentations. In fact, uh, I believe when Rob Palson was chair of NARUC, you know, he used to be a commissioner in Pennsylvania. He also served on FERC, and he's now the chair of the National Association of Water Companies. Uh, you know, innovation was a premier guide for the organization. And each year we give out innovation awards from NARUC. And at every conference, we're looking to have uh, the innovators top of mind and making presentations so that the commissioners can learn, uh, you know, what is being 
developed in the energy space. The technologies that are coming on, how do they meet current and future customer needs? Oh, well, uh, you know, there's a lot of customers, for instance, that don't want to be on the grid at all. So, you know, there's, you know, applications out there so that if, uh, you know, I was at a presentation the other day where someone was suggesting that, you know, we shouldn't be looking at poles and wires at all. You know, that's passe. Why are we still even bothering with poles and wires? We should be looking to have everyone, you know, do their own, uh, you know, at home support the backyard nuke or, you know, some sort of hydrogen fuel cell that allows you to power your home as we should be uh, supporting development both in the, you know, real estate and residential sector that allow for that. Then there's, you know, you were talking about earlier with the distribution system and the services provided there, you know, with advanced metering technology that allow our utilities to advise us how we're using power to make us more energy efficient. So, There's a host of technologies to allow you to use power in a number of different ways at a number of different levels that I think can be supported at different stages along the way. The one area that concerns me in terms of critical infrastructure and a topic that's been top of mind for us and globally is the security of bringing all these new systems into the fore. And that was actually the creation of the Critical Infrastructure Committee was mainly to look at the cyber uh, security developments. And, you know, at the time that the committee was formed, there was a lot more connectivity being uh, advanced for the grid and to look at the security of the grid from that vantage point. But certainly, you know, we're moving even beyond that at this point. So... I really want to turn to grid security in a, in a second, but the last question in the series that I'm asking you, and I'm rolling a few together here, is how do you manage impact on ratepayers and balance costs between ratepayers, shareholders, and other market participants? Right. Well, I think that since as part of our charge, as I said, it's not only safe, reliable, but being, you know, cost uh, is of equal importance as reliability and as security. And we have to make sure that we are not building a bridge to nowhere, so to speak, as we move forward with these advancements. We have to be certain that whatever we're doing can be supported by the ratepayers. At the same time, looking not to let the you know shareholders off the hook either, and to you know create that balance, and also look to the private sector to help support some of this innovation. You know, I personally believe that there is you know a lot of money floating out there in the investment uh, market that could be used to help support. Uh, these innovations rather than having to go back to the ratepayer each and every time, you know, it, it seems that, you know, everything is subsidized. You know, I think that uh, I, I believe in our capitalistic system and uh, allowing for, you know, uh, innovators to come up into the market and uh, to support these moves forward. So, 
that's a personal um, point of personal privilege right there. Okay. So so let's talk about uh, security right now and cybersecurity. That your committee on critical infrastructure was created, I believe, right after 9-11. And in many respects, the world only seems to have gotten way more dangerous since then, with state actors joining the terrorists. And, and uh, there's been a lot of attention placed on what North Korea, China, Iran, and, and Moscow and Russia are doing. Um, talk a, a little bit about how your committee has worked on preparedness and, and how are you going about this possibly in a new, more effective way? Yeah. Well, f- first and foremost, you know, we're trying to uh, educate all commissions about the dangers regarding cybersecurity. You know, up until 9-11, I didn't think there was a whole lot of attention being given in, in this space. And, you know, um, first off, providing them with the questions that they should be asking their utilities to make sure that they are prepared to deal with this particular issue. Next comes how do utilities, you know, recover those costs to update their systems to make sure that they are secure? You know, what are the rate impacts? How do we build you know, support for cybersecurity into rates. That's uh, another area uh, of interest. And and we have also on a number of occasions, and we're doing one in July, A you know, we run black sky exercises for the commissioners to give them a sense of if an event happens, what it looks like, how do you respond? The, the particular focus of this event is uh, actually, one we're doing in uh, the Mid-Atlantic region, that's uh, actually in, in June, is who do you call? You have an event, you're there. Who are the forces that you should communicate with? Who are you going to call? Uh, so, we, we provide that type of training uh, to commissioners. We have suggested orders. We have a handbook for uh, commissioners. And we also participate in the ESCC you know, with the Department of Energy and the other agencies of the federal government to make sure that we're kept abreast of, you know, I'm, I'm the uh, liaison to that committee. Uh, so we're on those calls and hearing what's being shared in the EISAC on a regular basis. So we talked at the top at, at the um, infusion of fresh infrastructure dollars passed by Congress um, to try to get things built faster. Uh, would you like to see a good share or can you put a, your finger on the share of it that should be spent on security issues? Yeah, I, I haven't really broken it down into dollars or not familiar enough with the legislation to know how much is broken out that is specifically designated for cyber. But but certainly that is something that I know that the department is interested in hearing and I think um, you know states when they submit their plans for these dollars are going to hopefully include their plans for you know enhancing the cyber security uh, within their states and their utilities. I mean one of the areas that has been very active in the cyberspace has been the financial and the healthcare uh, industries. Uh, unfortunately, um, the utility industry is not as um, up to date as those other sectors, and we need to get 
the utility sector as uh, robust as those other two sectors. And we look to make those comparisons and uh, supports moving forward. Just summing up, as you think of the years you've been working on these issues, is the grid just slowly evolving or is it undergoing a radical transformation as we move to more distributed energy resources and have greater heightened concerns about carbon? I've seen dramatic changes in the nine years that I've uh, served on the commission. You know, when I first came to the commission, it was right after Superstorm Sandy, and the main focus uh, at that time was on uh, resiliency and redundancy. Then there uh, became a new administration with new clean energy goals and also trying to uh, bring advanced metering our state, uh, you know, moving us forward in the area of advanced metering. We have more distributed uh, sites within the states that can now operate in the event that there is another storm off-grid. We're supporting new ways of bringing solar to our, our residents. We now have a community solar program where even if you don't have, you know, a roof of your own, you can still take advantage of solar. We have, you know, a very robust energy efficiency program because frankly, that's the best use of any of our dollars is the energy that you don't use uh, being supported. So uh, I think that there is new heightened awareness throughout the country, frankly, about the utility business. It used to be that we were uh, the boring kids on the block. Nobody really knew what we did. But energy has now taken a new space, not just, uh, you know, in the States, but, you know, nationally and globally. You know, it's a really interesting space in which to be involved in something that whenever I go to a career day, you know, there's a lot of interest. So, so just to to come at this from a little different angle. Uh, as we see the electrification of transportation and EV charging being deployed, do you think our definition of how electric grid is critical infrastructure is going to change in new ways? Oh, um, more than likely. It's going to be part of the, the backbone of our transportation grid as well as everything else. Yes, perhaps. I don't know whether in the long term or the short term, you know, there's also people developing hydrogen fuel cells to operate cars. You know, you you never know with the technology how long and how sustained it, it will be. But in the short term, because it is connected to the electric grid, it's something that we as commissioners have to give our attention to. Remember, we're, we are not regulators of the internal combustion engine. You know, our, our interest is from, you know, the wires to the chargers. Uh, primarily. And, you know, that that's in terms of our charge and our responsibility. Different states do it different ways, you know, uh, give responsibility utility commissions in the EV space. But ours is really from the vantage point of making sure that the grid can support the technology. And hopefully, you know, there are those in the future that hope that the technology can then help to support the grid. So, um, that's where our focus is. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for having me. We've been talking with Diane Solomon, who's a member of the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities and is the chairman of the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners, 
Committee on Critical Infrastructure. Thank you for listening to Grid Talk. Please send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrl.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.